0: This morning we're going to talk about, I believe the topic on the, on the green sheet was you can have a happy home. And How many of you believe that's true? Amen. <clears throat> I want to share just personally for about three minutes why this is, has been my life cry, the cry of my heart for most of my life to have a happy home. Some of you have maybe heard my story before, but I'll just tell you that my mom and dad were hardworking people, salt of the earth, Oklahoma, I was born in Tulsa, my mother was born in southern Oklahoma, just salt of the earth people, hardworking. They did not have any faith basis for their home, their marriage, they didn't attend church, they weren't uh, living their life at home from a spiritual perspective. They tried six years to have a child and had trouble, mother had trouble conceiving, had some surgeries, and finally they had a boy. Yours truly. And that was the end of their childbearing. I was the only child and grew up watching them. As hard as they worked and as good people as they were, they were not happy at home. My father worked uh, full-time for an oil company out in the field drilling holes. He worked hard. I made a decision early in life that I did not want to be an oil field worker watching how hard he worked. He would come home and then he would go to another job where he was painting or exterminating or handyman or landscaping or some other job. My father worked 80 plus hours a week, 100 hours a week. I never really saw much of him. If I wanted to see my dad I usually got on the truck with him and went to a landscape job on the weekend or would go dig a ditch with him or crawl under a house and exterminate with him. That would be the extent of spending time with my dad for the most part. When he was home, he was not happy. My mother was not happy. She was always kind of sick. Her health was never good. They were always unkind to each other. I, I say this, and I, I don't say it to be funny, but I learned more cuss words at home than I did on the playground. That was just the environment that I grew up in. They were harsh. They were not happy. There was a lot of fighting. Today, in this In this world, uh, there's a new term for that called domestic violence. Back then we just called it fighting. But now it has a clinical term called domestic violence. It happened regularly. Many nights our table would just turn upside down the food and and there'd be a big fight break out. Dishes would fly. Hot coffee would be thrown in cups. Blood would flow. Kitchen knives were weapons. Hot irons were plugged in as defensive weapons. I'd go to bed at night. Some night I'd, I'd Try to sleep with my mother and put my arm around her. They'd never slept in the same room. Some nights I'd sleep with my dad hoping he wouldn't get mad and get up. And it was just that kind of environment that I grew up in. And I would pray, Lord, all I, all I want is a happy home. When I get married, Lord, I'm not going to live like this. Lord, I want a happy home. I'd pray 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. It was, it was in my regular prayer life. One night, one day after a particularly violent fight... The night before at the dinner table, my mother came to school, pulled me out of school. We ran away and hid for about a week in this little seedy motel. And one day at the end of the week, she brought the paper to me and pointed where our name was in the paper, you know, births, deaths, marriage license filed, divorces filed. My mother had filed for divorce. We left that hotel, went back home, found my dad sitting on the end of his bed, crying. First time I'd ever really seen my dad in that state. I stood between them and said, can't we work this out? My counseling vocabulary at 11 years old was, can't we work this out? Can't we work this out? That was all I knew how to say. Because I didn't want to be that kid at school who was from a single home, broken home. Selfish on my part, but I really wanted them to be happy. Shortly thereafter, my mother was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and it was massive, bigger than an orange. And she was operated on. My dad and I had to help her learn how to walk again, motor skills, learn how to drive. She recovered. She was a new person. The pressure on her brain had been for a long time. It just seemed that there was this glimmer of hope for some happiness in our home. First time I'd ever seen real peace. And then I got uh, uh, notified one evening late. My mother was watching the TV, and about 9 o'clock, that she saw a crawl across the bottom of the screen, news bulletin, an explosion had happened out north of the airport where nine men were working in an oil lease, drilling a hole and doing some exploration, some research, and my dad and eight other guys were killed that night at the oil well where it exploded. My mother saw it on TV, and I was out at a rehearsal, came back, I was told, i had just turned 15, so my dad's now gone suddenly. My mother still recovering, uh, I was the only son. I was the next day went to work after we buried him, the butcher that lived across the street came over and said, I'm sorry here, but your dad, you need a job, you need to take care of your mom. Come work for me in the meat market. I cleaned the meat market at the grocery store. Got promoted to janitor. I mean that's, really, it's true. The promotion out of the meat market was to be janitor. Stocked the shelves, the next job. Sacked groceries, delivered groceries. Back then we had delivery to the house. The lady could call in and order two loaves of bread and a case of milk, and you'd take, take it to her house. That was my job. I, I graduated from that to checker at the grocery store. We didn't have scan, bar you know, barcode scanners at that time. It was all yeah, $0.89, cents, twenty. I worked there. I worked there for a long time, and my senior guy said, you need a job, I'm leaving the veterinary hospital, uh, I'll give you my job if you want it. So I left the grocery store, went to work at the vet hospital. I went to school from uh, 8 to 3, and worked from 3.30 till 10 at the vet hospital. And cleaning the cages, doing uh, minimal duties around the, uh, the vet hospital, decided that at that point I didn't want to be a veterinarian. Went to school and and right at the end of my freshman year I got a call while I was traveling in New England doing some ministry between sessions and summer session that my mother had been readmitted to the hospital. The brain tumor had reoccurred. This time it was really bad and the surgery left her debilitated and unable to really live alone. So after the surgery for about 10-12 weeks she was in a very bad state in a care facility in I was trying to be a college student and doing a very poor job of that and trying to take care of my mother and doing the best I could at it and went to my dorm and prayed for her everyday for lunch as I fasted and I, I just got a sense of peace that everything was going to work itself out and I had prayed with my mother just prior to this surgery uh, ask her about her soul, ask her about her life and God and and she prayed with me and and received Christ as her Savior. One day I got a call. I was again out on campus uh, at another university, ministering and singing. And phone rang. Your mother's t- taking a nap. She had lunch, went to take a nap, and never woke up. She just went on to heaven. And I was 19. And at that point, I thought, What am I going to do? You know, how am I how am I now going to live my life? Dad's been gone for four years. Mom's now gone. No brothers, no sisters. Lord, all I ever wanted was a happy home. That's been my prayer for all those years. But immediately I began to ask this question after Mother died. How am I going to die? The thought of it just consumed me. And I began to think about every person in my father's family, every man, for three generations, had died an untimely early death. My father's father killed himself after the farm burned, took a shotgun and took his life. My father's brother, who liked to gamble and make a lot of money and lose a lot of money, lost it all at the track one day and got drunk, drove his car off in a ditch, left him paralyzed as an accident from here down in his own hospital room, found a cord of some kind, an extension cord, took it around his neck, laid it up over the end of the bed and rolled himself out of bed to kill himself. Took his own life. My father was only 56 when he died in an explosion. So I got to thinking, every man in the Grothy family with a Grothy name died some kind of death, untimely death. I thought about my mother's family. I remembered every hospital bed, I went to go say goodbye, every sick bed, every goodbye, I said to family members, her uncle, my grandfather, her sister died at 32 of a heart member, her other sister died of the same thing, a brain tumor. I'm thinking, boy, everybody in this side of the family, mom's side of the family, died of sickness and disease early. Untimely death over here, how am I going to die? The thought of it just began to consume me. Never told anybody. I was dating Becky at the time, I never mentioned it to Becky. How am I going to die? I'd drive down the road and the headlights would be coming. I would think, Now is that car going to come in front of me? Is that it, Lord? You know, I, that was crazy thoughts, and I really got mad because I thought I'm only nineteen. How? I hadn't even started to live yet. How am I going to die? <coughs> Pastor's wife named Rose Barton. I was in a prayer meeting with my college roommate in his home church one day, very out of the way Monday night prayer meeting. Just happened to be there. I was kneeling, just praying about all this. And I was saying, Lord, you know, I'm too young to die. I don't have a family anymore. I want to have a family. And in that moment, I heard this voice come up behind me. It was Mrs. Barton. Mrs. Barton, and she said, I was kneeling in front, and she said, The curse which has been on your family has stopped with your generation. And she began to quote Galatians 3.13 Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us that the blessing of Abraham might come on those who believe. Cursed is every man that hangs upon a tree. That the blessing might come on us. She said, the curse is stopped with your generation. She didn't know anything I was thinking. She didn't know what I was going through. She didn't know that my family had experienced that for generations. And I got up from that place of prayer And from that night until this day, I have never again thought about death. Never been afraid of it. Never had the worry of it. It's never been a part of my, my thinking. And quite honestly, to have a happy home has been my heart's prayer since I was about a kid of nine years old. And it is my heart's desire for each one of you. That your home would be a place of God's blessing and fulfillment. And I want to briefly talk to you about it today. Could you help me? Nothing but a good bunch of scriptures here I want to share with you. So you'll know my heart. I am not a licensed professional counselor. I so appreciate the value of education, the value of experience, the value of the certification process that many of our city's licensed professional counselors go through, the training, the hours of commitment. And many people come to my office here at the church, men and women, and they sit down as if I'm one of the licensed professional counselors of the city, and they almost impose this attitude, now fix me. (laughs) Here I am, here's my problems now. Pastor Grothy, you fix me. Here's, Here's what I believe. Jesus said in Matthew 7, the last few verses, he said, The man that hears these words of mine and does them shall be like a wise man. Rains, storms, and floods will come, but his house is built upon a rock, and it stays there. The man who hears these words of mine and does not do them, Jesus said, is like the foolish man that built his house upon the sand. Rains and storms and floods come, And his house is washed away. And the Bible says, great is the fall of it. What's the difference? They both heard. They both had wind, rain, storms. They had so much in common. What was the difference? One heard these words and did them. One heard these words and did not do them. So the bottom line for me, when I see folks that have, in the middle of a struggle, in the middle of losing... Fighting against the rains and the storms and the floods they have got to be able to hear they know the truth they have heard the truth they have been in classes of the truth they have gone to Sunday school they have been to the sermons they know the truth but they have not done it how willing are we to be not only hearers of God's word as James says but doers doers of God's word he says the guy that looks in the mirror and walks away And forgets who he's like. is like the guy that hears these words and does not do them. You walk away and forget what you look like. So number one, the practical application of God's word for a happy home. My wife and I do this. Becky and I live this in our home and have for 33 years. It may sound simple to you, but give me a break. Give me about 10 minutes to tell you the truth. Number one, be kind. Now that sounds easy, that sounds nice platitude, just be kind are you nicer to your dog than you are to your wife do you say nicer things to your dog than you do to your wife, we had this little Yorkshire terrier, and I'm not kidding you, he could smile you'd walk in the house and he'd go, show his little teeth and we would run to the steps. We'd walk in the house, and Becky and I and the kids, mm, come here, Sad. Come here, come. And we just, mm, 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 oh, are you nicer to your dog than you are to your kids? Oh, come here, old, old Shep. You know, mm, love you, dog. Here's what Ephesians 4:32 says: Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. We're going to get to that next. Romans 12.10 Be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. When's the last time you preferred somebody in your family? Gave them, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you, what's your preference? What do you think? When it's, when's the last time it didn't have to be your way? Kindness is communicating that somebody is valuable, valuable by your actions. Not just by your words, but also by your actions. Your actions speak a lot louder than your words at home. Number two, be forgiving. Following up with what he said there, to forgive one another and to be kind. Number two, Matthew 6, Jesus said, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I had a couple sit in my office yesterday. And this was the honest truth. We're talking about how they respond to each other and how they are communicating in their home. And he said, well, there, there are days that uh, I, nobody talks to me. There are days that go by that she doesn't say anything to me. And I said, uh, why, why would that be? She said, well, I, just, I get mad and I don't want to talk to him almost like punishment i'll show you i'll show you and he said yeah like 48 72 hours some some days i we, we don't have a conversation i said what is it that keeps you from being able to let that go what is it that that keeps you from being able to do what this says forgive those that have sinned against you mark 11:25 says this jesus when you're praying First, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. Have you held a grudge against some family member? Is there something that you're holding on to? Well, when they treat me right, I'll treat them right. Be the bigger person. Let it go. Forgive so that your Father in Heaven will forgive you too. Notice Jesus says that twice in those two verses. So that your Father will forgive you. Your forgiveness is predicated on your ability to let it go, flow through you towards someone else. Number three, oh, I, the literal meaning. You've seen this example, a length of rope with a knot in it, you know, a length of rope. The literal meaning of forgiveness is to untie the knot, just take it out and make it straight. There are a lot of people that have knots in their stomach. They've got. They're all knotted up in their personality. They're all bound up because they can't forgive. They haven't been able to let it go. And I promise you, if you're waiting for somebody to come and ask you to forgive them, don't hold your breath. It may not happen. Just release it proactively. Just let a father... What did Jesus say when he's got nails in his hands? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. He released them even before anything was asked for. Number three, big one in our house, control your tongue. Watch your mouth. However you want to say it. Watch your mouth. James 3.2 We all make mistakes. Yes, we do. But those who control their tongues can also control themselves in every other way. If you've got a problem with anything else in your life of control, and I know fruit of the spirit is one of the one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. It comes as a fruit of God flowing through us. We began to be able to 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 have control by the Spirit from the inside out. It's not just sitting on our hands or biting our tongue or trying to keep from saying something. It's just the fruit of the Spirit allows us to walk in that. But here's what he says, if you can get a hold of your mouth, everything else in your life will line up. If you can say and let the fruit of the Spirit, out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks and lots of times I can stand around somebody ten minutes and hear them talk and know what's in their heart. Coming right out of their mouth. Spewing obscenities and spewing things that are not godly, that are un like Christ. It's coming right up out of... Get get your whitewashed tomb cleaned up on the inside. He says, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 10, Finally, all of you should be of one mind full of sympathy toward one another, loving one another with tender hearts, humble minds. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate when people say unkind things about you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Now, it's one thing to just not go back and, 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 and hurl an insult in response to an insult. But here's what he says. It takes it one step further than just not retaliating. He says instead, bless them. Instead of not just refraining from hurling back a, a something mean. Well, God, God bless you. I love you. I'm so, I'm going to pay you back with a blessing. That's what God wants you to do. And He will bless you for it. Here it is. The scripture says, If you want a happy life, and we're talking about a happy home today. If you want a happy life and good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. You need to be truthful at home. Your life and your words need to line up together. James 1, 1, 19 and 20. Understand this, beloved brethren. Let every man be quick to hear. A ready listener. Slow to speak. Slow to take offense. And slow to get angry. For a man's anger does not promote the righteousness God wishes and requires. You know, I can go home today. And you can too. And put this into practice. James 1, 19 and 20. I can go home today and do these three things. Quick to hear. Ready listener. Slow to speak. Old adage, but it works. Two ears, one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you talk. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. And it produces a quiet, peaceable environment. Slow to get angry. It works. I'm going to ask you to weigh your words before you speak. Number four, the golden rule. It's the golden rule. Do unto others. Do for others what you would like for them to do, Jesus said. Think about it with your wife. What would she like for you to do? What would you like for her to do for you? Do that for her. What would she think would be wonderful? Do something like that. Do for others what you would like for them to do for you. What do you think would be wonderful? Do that for them. This is a summary of all of the Law and the Prophets, my goodness gracious, more than two-thirds of my Bible, from Genesis to Malachi, can be summed up in this. The whole Law and the Prophets do for others what you would like them to do for you. Number five. Walk in agreement. Live your life with your family in agreement. Don't make decisions on your own. I had a conversation recently with a man that's bought a business. Didn't even tell his wife he bought it. Didn't even have the go-ahead or the approval or even, even the politeness or the courtesy to have a conversation with her. I think, I'm thinking about this. What do you think, honey? He just went and got involved and committed himself financially to a business without even telling her. What do you think the breakfast table feels like at that house? Let alone the bedroom. <laughs> Amos 3.3 is one of the shortest and most succinct questions in the whole Bible. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? King James says, "How can two walk together unless they be agreed?" I remember it's probably the standout memory in my marriage of not doing something with my wife's agreement. And I was a church pastor. I was on the church staff. I thought, "Man, I, I can do this because I deserve it." I didn't even have a nice boom box, let alone a nice stereo something to listen to music on. I needed some speakers. I needed something to play. The music in my church office, I thought for sure this would be a blessing. and I went down and, and bought a stereo system with two very nice speakers. You can imagine the size of those old Sony receivers and before digital, you know, analog tuner. Really, really a wonderful piece of equipment. Paid $800 for it. Put it in my office. My wife walks in. What's all this? I said, don't you like it? I bought it on 30, 60, 90. I really bought it on 25 down, 30, 60, 90. I just have to pay you know, a quarter of the payment every month for the next three months. She looked around. Oh, well, how are you going to do that? Because at that time she made three thousand dollars more a year than I did. Well, I'll, I, the Lord will provide. It's fine. I hope you come in sometime and listen to music with me. So she kind of, you know, grinned her, gritted her teeth, and turned around and walked out. That very night, the church was robbed. They broke into the church. They stole whatever they could steal in the church office. And they went door to door down the hallway all the church offices. And guess what was left the next morning when I got to my office? Three months of payments were left. <laughs> and speaker cord. That's all that was left. And I thought, okay, I've made a mistake. God forgive me for my mistake. How can two walk together except they be agreed? I'm going to tell you today Oh, I didn't have to. She knew that. She got the call, but she got the call that the thing was broken into before I did. I mean, it was a mess, and they they went through the auditorium, took everything that was on the stage they could grab. Be willing to modify your own selfish desires in order to be in agreement. This is where I want to encourage couples: be willing to adjust, be willing to modify what your own selfishness wants to to find a place of agreement. And if that means not doing what you plan to do selfishly, don't do it. I'm not going to make a decision, I'm not going to make a move on my own without my wife's consensus with me. And we need to find that place of agreement in each of our decisions at home. The last of the six points, avoid strife. This was the most hurtful thing in my own experience to watch people bite and hurt and devour and curse each other. I, d- I just felt like I wanted to ask this, you know, in my own situation, I can remember praying night after night as a kid, uh, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. I can remember a period of four years where it was really on my mind. What are your kids praying when they go to bed in your house? What kind of prayers do your kids pray? Are they praying prayers I wish mom and dad wouldn't fight? Are they asking God to give them a happy home? What are your school kids and your high school kids observing? What's being modeled for them between mom and dad? Ephesians 4.29 Let no foul or polluting language or evil word or unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth. This is Paul's teaching to the church at Ephesus. This is Paul's teaching to the men at New Life. Don't let those kind of words, foul, polluting language, evil word, unwholesome or worthless talk come out of your mouth. I'm surprised. Now, you may say, well David, you're just naive. You were raised down the Bible Belt. You grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the buckle of the Bible Belt. This is the frontier. This is the New West. We don't, you know, we can cuss and and have stuff in our home and 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 that's you know that's just the way it is in the real world. Baloney. I'm amazed at the, the words that people say to each other, and come to church, and go in the car and get home, and talk like this, polluting foul language. Don't let it come out. And that's not a judgment. That's just an observation that I make every day when I hear people the way they talk to each other. I've had men and women sit in my sit in my church office just around the corner and say some of the vilest things. I mean, I never heard that on the playground. That's a new one for me. Let me write that one, you know. I had two, two of the staff members this past week, this week ago, the week after Easter. A couple was in my office. I mean, it was loud. And two of our pastoral staff came and just walked by the door like, you know, am I, am I about to get accosted? By a man and a woman in my office. These are the things that Paul says. He says, But only such speech as is good and beneficial to the progress, the spiritual progress of others, as it is fitting to the need or the occasion, that it may be a blessing and give grace, God's favor, to those that hear it. How many of your words are giving God's grace, are seasoned with God's grace and favor to those people that you're speaking to? Think about how you talk to your family. I know a a very, very successful military gentleman in our church who has had a military, highly decorated military career. But he comes home and tries to treat his family like his troops. It doesn't work. You don't address your wife as one of your executive officers. You don't address your children as your first first privates. You, You don't do that. James 3.16, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Our kids were getting kind of loud one day and poking at each other and saying kind of selfish things to each other. My wife just walked through them and opened the front door and she says, okay, come on in, confusion. Confusion. Strife, every evil work. Come on in. Make yourself at home. And my kids are going, Mom, 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 shut the door, Mom. We'll be quiet. We, see, we get your point. So what are you doing when you've got all this strife and selfishness? You're opening the door for confusion and strife and every evil work to your house. King James says, where envying strife is, there it is, is confusion and every evil work. We were kind of picking each at each other in the front seat one day. And my wife had uh, made it clear to me that I wasn't helping very much. And I had said to her, you're late, we're going to be late. And if we'd all been in the car on time, we'd, we'd be there on time. We are agreeing to meet somebody at some place on time. Our four kids are in the back. And she said, well, if number one had helped the rest of us get ready, we wouldn't be late. finally in the back seat we have twin daughters and we heard one of our daughters say let's all just play the quiet game (laughs) so get ready to play the quiet game if you need to modify your words and your speech make sure that's something you do now I want to encourage you today with just a few ideas Joshua in chapter 24 I believe says it this way remember what Joshua's role was he had been Moses' servant and the first few verses of Joshua chapter 1 start like this Moses my servant is dead now Joshua it's almost like tag you're it Josh Moses is gone now it's your turn so Joshua leads them into the promised land and in these verses he talks to the people I believe it's, uh... no, it's Joshua 24, somewhere through there. I'm not finding it. But he goes on, I believe, and says somewhere around verse 15. Yeah, 24, 15. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. He says you're either going to serve the gods back there where we came from, or you're going to serve the gods over in this land. He says choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of our forefathers beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, or in whose land you're living. But he says you've got to choose. Bob Dylan wrote the great song, You've got to serve somebody. And he says here, as for me and my house. But for me, I'm just going to tell you all. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One of my favorite thoughts. It's a choice that you must make. It's a decision that you must make. Who and what you're going to serve. And your family will rise and fall on this decision. How how are you leading your family. What is the decision that you're making? And those of you that have children, let me see your hands. Okay, keep your hands up if you have children living in your home. Psalm 126, right in the middle of the Bible. Notice what he said. There's a sowing in tears and reaping in joy idea. Psalm 129. Psalms mentions, they've oppressed me, they've not gained victory over me. These are powerful words of encouragement here. Between Psalm 126 and 129, the two chapters between, the two Psalms between, Psalm 127 and 128, between sowing in tears and reaping in joy and being oppressed and not overcome, they've not gained victory over me. The psalmist says this in Psalm 127, don't you see, verse 3 and 5, 3 through 5, don't you see that your children are God's best gift? I received lots of gifts in my life. I inherited that house that I grew up in. After mom died, it passed to me. I was living in the dorm, so I just leased the house. I just rented it out. A friend of mine got married, and he and his wife spent their first two years of marriage in the house I was raised in. My turn to get married. I sold it. I didn't want to go back and live there. I sold it. Got another place where we started our home. He says, Don't you see that children are God's best gift? I inherited the house... I think the proverb says, Houses and lands are an inheritance from fathers, but children are God's inheritance. So I want you to look at your kids as God's best gift. The fruit of the womb is His generous reward. Like a warrior's fist full of arrows are the children of a vigorous youth. Oh, how blessed are you parents with all your quivers full of them. I met with a guy recently who has an oldest daughter at 20 and a youngest at... Two, five kids twenty to two I said that two year old is going to keep you young for a very long time vigorous vigorous children and a vigorous youth how blessed you are as parents with your homes full of children I want to say this your children are not a burden they are your blessing change your perspective yes there is a responsibility yes there is something on you to be uh, responsible for and provide for, but it's your blessing. It's not only your responsibility; it's your privilege to have these kids. So change your attitude about your children. I've seen some fathers that are so aggravated with their kids, and they're so put out with how they've cramped their style. And even moms, they've cramped. You've cramped my career. I can't. I can't do what I wanted to do because I've got you now. That's selfish. Psalm one twenty eight. Verse 3-6 through says this. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine flourishing within your home. A fruitful vine. Look at your wife and see the beauty of, of the produce of your marriage, the produce of your love and your children. And look at all those children, he says. There they sit around your table as vigorous and healthy as young olive trees you know, I have seven grandchildren now that are three and under. Our kids have memorized this verse, be fruitful and multiply. Baby girls getting married in July. Uh, We were over the other day and had all the kids around the table. It was loud. It was noisy. It was a big party. But I look at them and I'm thinking, Lord, what a blessing. Healthy. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for healthy young children. He says, this is the Lord's reward for those who fear him. May you enjoy, may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. Now, this is a blessing from God. And I want to say this to you guys. My father, my grandfather, let me just say it this way, on the growthy side. I've told you the story about the growthy man. All of them died untimely deaths. My grandfather never knew his grandfather. My father never knew his grandfather. I never knew my grandfather. My son never knew his grandfather. I was standing in the delivery room last November when my son had his second child. Lisa delivered a little boy named Wilson. It's my wife's maiden name. His name is Wilson. And I was standing there and the Lord just said to me as I I heard his first cry, and as they carried him over to the machine to weigh him, and he you know, weighed in, he's now six months and he's in 24-month clothes. <laughs> he's a big hoss. But I, 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 I heard the Lord speak this in my heart and I just stepped out of the room. And a couple days later when they were bringing Wilson home, I said to Daniel, Do you know, Daniel, that this little boy is going to be the first growthy in over a hundred years to know his grandfather? To have met him? Oh, may you live to enjoy your grandchildren. Psalm 128. And may all of you live to enjoy your grandchildren. Those of you with children in your home now. Yeah, grandchildren are wonderful and I'm, I'm thankful for them. But the biggest blessing for me has been to watch my daughters and my son become parents. What a, wonderful, what a wonderful thing, and to see your kids become responsible and take that, that role. These passages that I've just read to you tell us that a good family life is the reward of God. I'm also reminded that a prudent wife is from the Lord. I can go through the proverbs, and you know the, the proverbs basically teach that a wife is either the crown, for her husband or the undoing of her husband a, a godly wife her children rise up and call her blessed and her husband also praises her you're the best honey you're the best there's a lot of good women women in the world but out of all of them you're the best and we must see our spouse and our children for who they are from God they are God's best gifts his reward in our lives and all too often some take their spouse for granted and some parents look at their kids as liabilities rather than assets. Go ahead and just leave them off your tax, tax in, in, in income tax this year. Mm-hmm. No more deductions for you. I know, that, I know some men that just look at their children and "Oh, I just lost another tax deductions, all that is. They are a blessing rather than a burden. We shouldn't be guilty of viewing our family as an inconvenience when God values them so highly. There's a verse that I I wanted to share, and I'm not sure I've gotten there, but I'm going to finish with this. My son just spent two days last week in Montana, Glacier National Park, just outside of Kalispell. And it started last September with a letter. My son had been reading some texts written by a former pastor and uh, a former seminary professor. 30 years pastoring, 7 years in seminary. And he's retired now to this little cabin that he grew up in, helped his dad build over 60 years ago on this beautiful lake in Glacier National Park. And my son wrote a letter to this man who he'd been reading some of his pastoral commentaries and some of his translation. and He said, is there ever an opportunity that I could ever interview you or talk to you directly and uh, maybe meet you at one of these conferences or something? And He sent it to the publisher. He didn't have an address for this man. He sent it to the publisher. About a month later, he got a handwritten letter back from a guy named Eugene Peterson. He said, not so fast, not so fast, young growthy. Is basically what the letter said let me ask you some questions. What is your philosophy of family? And what is your philosophy of ministry? And How are you tracking to follow God in your life? So Daniel wrote these three pages of essay and sent them back to Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is in these days most well known for his publication, the translation of the Bible called The Message. Has anybody ever read The Message? This is Eugene Peterson. But before he wrote The Message... That's one of his later works. His early works were on pastoral and the books of Paul and the writings of Paul. So Daniel got this letter and they corresponded back. And after Daniel sent these three pages to him around Christmas time, Mr. Peterson wrote back and said, Well, why don't you just, if you can, come spend a couple days in our home with us. Okay. <laughs> so Daniel flew to Spokane, Washington on Easter. Drove down Easter night. Spent two days with his grandma and grandpa who live on the Lewis Clark Trail in Lewiston, Idaho and then on Wednesday morning after Easter, drove to Kalispell, and and it's not even on the GPS where he lives. It's way out in the country, on this lake. And spent two nights with Eugene Peterson and his wife in their home. And talked and prayed with them, and discussed and laughed, and had fellowship and took hikes and walks. And I was reading this out of Peterson's translation of the Psalms. The message translation, this is what it says, Psalm 144. the last verse here on page 2 of your outline. Make our sons in their prime like sturdy oak trees. Make our daughters as shapely and bright as fields of wildflowers. Fill our barns with great harvest. Fill our fields with huge flocks. Protect us from invasion and exile. Eliminate the crime in our streets. And in verse 15 the message says, How blessed the people who have all of this. How blessed the people who have God for God. The King James translation, which is more familiar if you've memorized the King James, as before the message came out. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Happy. Now happiness can be measured in lots of things. But the intangible things of God are the things that make us happy. The mercy of God, the joy of the Lord, the forgiveness of God. These are the things that bring us happiness. I've given you some, just a, a few ideas in, in the practical application of how to be happy at home. Now I'm not saying that you can create a happy marriage where there's infidelity, where there's abuse, where there's lying. Yeah, all that dysfunction is going to make you unhappy. But that's not from God. Those kinds of things do not originate with the blessing of God. They originate with sin. They originate with violating your conscience. What's the root word of conscience? What, what do you think of when you think of conscience? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit what, what is your conscience for? Yeah, God gave us all a conscience. It's two words. Etymology. Con. Science. With. Knowledge. Your conscience, when you violate it, you're doing it with full knowledge. You know. A conscience makes you know. How do we know? Right and wrong. Right. God gave us a conscience. God gave us all something with knowledge. We know. And when we violate that, we're violating our conscience. That's sin. The Bible says in Hebrews, He who does knows what's right and doesn't do it, to him it's counted as sin. So, do the right thing. Do what you know. These are ideas that have have, uh, been such a blessing to me in these verses. And I want to pray for your families this morning. Lord, we pray and lift up our wives. We thank you, Father, that a wife, a prudent wife, is from the Lord. We receive that from you. We bless her. We thank you for her calling as a woman. And for her calling as a wife and mother and grandmother. We bless our wives today, God. Send your peace. Send your strength. Send your encouragement. Send your comfort. I'm asking now, Lord, that you'd wrap your arms around the wives in these homes. And lift them up, Lord. Let them be encouraged by the Spirit. And strengthened by the Word of God. We pray for our children today, Lord. That they would be taught of you. Raised up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. Taught in the way that they should go. And when they're older, they will not depart from it. I thank you, Lord, that every child here at New Life is raised and taught the Word of God. And that those strength, the words that you speak to them, Jesus, are strength and life and health to all of our children and to all their flesh. We pray, Heavenly Father, for peace in our homes, that happy are the people whose God is the Lord. You are God. There is none other. You are the Lord of our home. We make you the Lord. We thank you for setting our homes into the peace of God. We can lay down in peace and sleep because we dwell in safety. You cause us, Lord, to be kept through the night and through every storm. We thank you that our houses still stand there after rain, after storm, after wind, and after flood. Our house still stands because we're built on the rock. We pray in Jesus' name, your blessing in every man's life, in every man's home, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Mike Pratt gave me this. This is a a short list of ongoing, current, small groups here at New Life. If you'd like to see what they are, some of them that would be a blessing to you or your family, Feel free to take some of this. If you haven't signed the the register for uh, Mike, please do this. We keep in touch with you. Email address, phone number, and we'll be in touch about upcoming men's events. Bless you guys. Here's these handouts up here.